Well, just real quickly, all these Marian feasts are about Jesus. They don't glorify Mary. They, everyone is a theology of Jesus. Uh, the, the question had always been, how could Jesus take his human flesh from a person like us who are all inclined to sin? St. Paul makes it very clear, all, all have fallen, all need the, to be saved by God. That includes the Virgin Mary, so how can this be possible? Yet theologians knew that Mary could not have passed on sinful flesh. How would this be possible? How, how can this be? The Lord left it to the church to figure it out. He said, I have many more things to tell you. You can't bear it now. You know, this is part of, of our ongoing, uh, the development of theology that we have. And so, uh, just to make a long story short, somebody named Dun Scotus helped a lot with this, this theologian. And it, it centers on Mary full of grace. You see, nobody else was ever called that. We, we're not full of grace because part of us still needs to be converted. And so, uh, and this, this bears a lot on our own lives, is how can we be free yet God knows everything about what's going to happen to us, including our final end. And when he created the world, being God, he immediately saw the whole arc of time because he's outside of it, just as we will. Once we leave the earth, we'll see the whole arc of time, just like he can, because they're in eternity, which is a single moment. And so he saw Mary's yes. He saw, he foresaw and in fact, it was accomplished in eternity, Jesus' death and resurrection, though it had not happened in time. And the Lord applied that grace to Mary before her birth for the sake of her son. And that's essentially uh, it. And that, that, again, casts light on how God gives us freedom, and yet he knows the outcome. And that, that disturbs some people. It's not predestination whatsoever. It's just that we can't conceive it in time. I was thinking about, even though Mary had this grace it didn't save her from suffering at all i i always every time i read this it reminds me of my own vocation or a lot of people in marriage we have these i've had more than one dewy-eyed couple in thinking that they're never going to have the other half of the vows and as you all know life is a mixture of of richer and poorer sickness and health and mary gets all the good stuff here now, she's, she's already troubled. She knows there's more to the story. You know, it starts with, what about Joseph is essentially what she's saying. And uh, we found out about Joseph real quick, too. It, it, it didn't go well. Uh, but the angel says nothing but good things. And remember, she's going to be the queen of the angels. She's going to be higher than Gabriel. And yet now, here she is, some 16-year-old girl who knows next to nothing, just like us. You know, and even after the angel, she knows next to nothing. But what happens to her? I was going over the, the list of woes, just what we know, what we knows about her woes. And she, um, uh, first thing that happens is she, we don't know the timing, but she probably came back from, from Elizabeth's and finding Joseph wanting to divorce her when he finds out she's pregnant. It could have happened beforehand, but I kind of doubt it. Uh, we don't know. But we went through this process of an almost divorce. It probably was quite troubling for her, though I'm sure she expected it to work out okay. Why did, why did God wait so long for Joseph? And then the next thing you know, she's, she's hoofing it off to Bethlehem, nine, 8.999 months pregnant, 
if you look at that, she's on side saddle on a donkey. I imagine she was being pulled by a cart, but God only knows it couldn't have been very comfortable. I've never been pregnant, but it certainly doesn't sound like a very good thing to be doing, <laughs> being on the back of a horse. Uh, but anyway, she had to move. She had to go there. Then she gives birth in a cave. Now, none of this is being told by, by the angel Gabriel, right? If they did move to a house. Uh, you will notice if you look carefully in the scriptures, they don't stay in the cave. They're there for privacy. They can't afford a private room at that point. And, uh, and then uh, we find that, that in, at the end of the time of purification, um, Jesus is presented. And then she, then she finds out that her son is going to be rejected. That's, Gabriel said nothing about that either. And she's going to have a sword put through her heart. That's true for most mothers, what I've found in my longer and longer years from what I've heard from people. But she's going to have many swords put through her heart. And then the next thing happens is Herod's trying to kill the child. Off they go to Egypt where there are Jewish communities. Joseph has to find work. They have to move on. They must have had furniture. Joseph had a house in Nazareth. He couldn't go home. They had an extended family that probably took care of that. She had to be away from her family for two, probably two years. God did not save her from being a refugee, a religious refugee, just like they are today. He, he allowed it to happen to her again. And this is all within the first year of her saying yes, or year, year and a half at the most. This goes on for a couple of years. I would have just, if I were God, I would have just bumped, bumped Herod off and gotten it over with. But this is not what God, God, God never sees it my way, not now and not then. And then when she comes back, uh, it seems as though they have a quiet life. I doubt it. But, you know, next thing you know, Joseph has died. Jesus doesn't raise Joseph from the dead. She probably knows he can do it. We don't know when she finds out he can change water into wine. But we do know that Joseph and Mary don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, I, should, I, I skipped one. We have the finding in the temple. Joseph is still living. Uh, it takes three days for them to find him. They don't know where to look. They, there's no angel telling them what to do, and many more than you. And when they find him, they, 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 just like any parent, they say, look what you've done to us. And he, he in my opinion, sounds like he's sassing them. He's, he didn't sin, but he's a 12-year-old. And it goes to show you that a 12-year-old isn't necessarily sinning because they don't have the social graces yet. He says it like a 12-year-old, which is very interesting. And then he looks at Joseph, as I've said many times, being raised by my grandparents, I knew better than to say you're not my real father to my grandfather. I never once said that to him. Yeah, but, but Jesus says, you're not my real father. I have to follow what my father says in heaven. And don't think that didn't hurt Mary and Joseph. And they, they went away not understanding a word he was saying, quote unquote. That tells you that they weren't constantly infused with divine knowledge. So Mary, again, suffers. And then Joseph dies somewhere, and she's left alone with Jesus. Now, this is another sword going through her heart, especially as she watches Jesus raise people from the dead and must have thought, what about Joseph? He was probably not an old man, despite what, what you might see in pictures. It would have been very strange for an old man to marry a 16-year-old girl. I'm sorry, that doesn't sound normal to me, but we don't know. Um, and then, uh, and then you know, finally, uh, she changes water into wine. At some point, she asks Jesus to change water into wine, and he, the, the answer he gives, now that this is theological. John is giving theology. Maybe it's not a word-for-word quote, but he says, woman, what concern is that to you and me? And the implication of that is, what kind of conversations did they have at home, if that's what he said in public? I mean, she's raising God. 
I mean, the, he, Jesus has an attitude, you know. That's it, it, just the way around it. I, I, if I called my mother woman, I wouldn't have said it twice, I can tell you that. Um, now, again, it's theology. I'm just saying that, that you can see from both of these stories that Jesus was a handful. And Mary, Mary had her hands full with this. Uh, you know, she, was a, she had the Immaculate Conception, but she definitely needed it to do this. And then we find her, uh, then we find some relatives come, relatives, cousins and hangers honors that didn't know any of this story about how Jesus was born. And they go to take him away thinking he's, re- he's ready for the lunatic asylum. And Mary had to live with that. They must have thought she raised a lunatic. You know, she had to live with that. Um, we don't think about that because the story's not about Mary, but read between the lines. And then the final, there's two more here yet. She's at the foot of the cross with two or three other people being spat on and heard half of, half of Israel curse her own son, knowing full well who he was and knowing what the implications would be for Israel, the destruction of the entire nation. She knew it. She knew he would raise from the dead. That's why she wasn't waiting at the uh, empty tomb. She knew Jesus would come to her, but she still had to go through that. And imagine that some parents have gone through something really awful like that. I know mine did, but, you know, it's something like this. And then finally, the last one is she couldn't stay in Israel because she was the mother of the most hated man amongst the religious intelligentsia. So John whisks her off to Ephesus, where she then spends the rest of her life in exile from her own people, um, praying and uh, being probably a spiritual um, uh, rock for the apostles, knowing that that Jesus' mother was living and praying for them. And so uh, it, when you look at and that's just what we know. You can just imagine the stories we're going to hear uh, after we get to heaven and see just what the whole thing was. But I love, the, I love all that because Mary's not a plaster statue. She had a real life, and it was a tough one. And, and, the, and again, you know, it's, it's, like, it's just like my vocation. I, just, I told the Lord, I said, look, when you, you, all those signs and wonders get me in the priesthood. You didn't tell me about this sex abuse crisis. I, I probably would have done something else. And he said, well, you didn't read the fine print on the contract. <laughs> and what was it? I'm going to give you a cross to bear. And am I unique? No. You've got yours. I've got mine. And uh, doing this on my day off is a joy. This is not a cross to bear, but a lot of other things are. But it's no different than anybody else's life. Jesus doesn't tell us in advance. Or like Mother Angelica said once at a, at a conference I was at 30 years ago, she said, if God told us the whole story in advance, we'd never do it. And that was sure true for EWTN. She's, if, she, if she had known what it would cost for that vision, I heard her tell, say she wanted to do that vision before she did it. Uh, and I thought she was out of her mind. I remember this very well. And she said later, she said, uh, we'd never do it if we knew what God had in mind. So he doesn't tell us, and he doesn't tell Mary either, to give her um, so that she'll say yes, you know. And um, so anyway, that's, that's a windy way of just putting it. I was. I started thinking about them, and I could hardly come to the end of it. So I wanted to share it with you. When you put it all together, you can see that Mary had a pretty tough life, and there's no indication she had angels accompanying her on the journey everywhere she went any more than we did. She probably had a few. Let's face it, but uh, but it was nothing like we think. So we thank God for this feast and our own lives like hers.